What's up guys? Welcome back to NNT Tours Podcast. I'm your host Sean and today I have the co-founder of Wax Blockchain. His name is William Quigley. He has been around the NFT space for a good while now as somebody who's got skin in the game, considered an OG. He's seen everything happen to what it was, to what it is now. He's, he's been through that journey and he talks about his journey within this episode from working for Disney uh, to actually building uh, the Wax blockchain. Now, if you're into the NFT space, if you're interested in how things are changing, how where the NFT space might go in the future, this is a guy that has a lot of knowledge uh, and we're talking about his experience of dot-com era and he's he's relating it to the NFT space and saying now how, how he sees a lot of similarities. So guys, this is one not to be missed. Get your notepads out, share this, subscribe and let's help build this community. Welcome back to the NFT Talks podcast and today's guest, I'm excited to have him on. Uh, I've been waiting for a while to arrange this episode and it's somebody who has uh, a lot of skin in the game, I'd say. Uh, you consider him an OG in the NFT space. Um, so much to talk about. He's a co-founder of Wax Blockchain, which is also known as, known as the king of NFTs uh, because it's the only blockchain that is built for NFTs. So, it's exciting uh, to, to get him on. Um, welcome, William Quigley. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. Very good. You know, 2021 has been uh, the best year ever for NFTs. It has, it has. <laughs> it's exciting. I mean, for anyone that doesn't know who you are, um, which we're definitely going to jump into, is just give uh, them a short introduction into a bit about yourself and your background and what you've been doing in the well, for the past how many years? Right. Well, you know, I graduated from college five years ago. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> uh, so briefly, the part that's relevant. Uh, uh, well, I had left the Walt Disney Company. I was the CFO of the, uh, the licensing division uh, mm -hmm. back in the 90s. I went and I co-founded a venture capital firm uh, called Idealab Capital Partners. That firm uh, was the first uh, venture capital firm to focus exclusively on consumer internet. And at the time, believe it or not, uh, people didn't think the internet was worthy of a dedicated focus for a fund. And by taking the consumer internet part of it, they were like, you're talking about a tiny piece of a tiny piece. Um, I still remember uh, some of the people we approached for money telling me, you know, there's only like already like 2000 websites in the world. Like, why would we need more? What, <laughs> like, what else is there? Um, and, and every time I, I, uh, I mention that to, to crowds, especially in the blockchain space, um, everybody kind of giggles and says, oh, weren't they like unaware and kind of clueless? But you know what? Every single technology innovation, I've seen the exact same thing, the exact same thing. You know, in the in the 80s, it was why would you ever need a computer at home? Yeah. Go to school and get a computer. Um, and then, um, of course, with blockchain, you know, what, what? even less than two years ago, there were people, prominent people, not in the crypto space who but who were coming in 
who were saying, you know, we don't understand why you would ever need anything more than Bitcoin. Um, so uh, 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 people generally cannot fully figure out what the impact of a technology is going to be until long after the fact. But uh, to wrap up uh, about me, uh, so I did the venture capital thing. I've been in venture capital for almost 20, well, over 20 years. Uh, however, in the late 90s, I started to work with somebody who uh, now is my partner of many, many years. And he created the very first marketplace for virtual items, uh, for the buying and selling of video game virtual items. Uh, he did that first with a video game called Ultima Online, and then with a video game called EverQuest, and then some others that your listeners might have heard of, uh, uh, World of Warcraft. And, uh, and then ultimately, yes. so I got involved with him, I was on his board, and uh, uh, that business, the secondary market for the buying and selling of video game virtual items, got up to about $10 billion uh, annually. Mm -hmm. uh, we were the biggest. Um, uh, we sold that company right around the time of the financial crisis, and my partner wound up uh, taking about six months off, but then started looking around at what he was going to do next, and he happened upon Bitcoin, the, the Satoshi white paper. Um, you know, it took him well over a year to convince me that there was anything uh, interesting there because uh, all venture capitalists have uh, scar tissue from previous deals. <laughs> yeah. In the 90s, there were attempts to make magic internet money. Uh, things like beans and flus were, were, were um, coins you could send back and forth to each other. The only problem was since there wasn't a blockchain attached to those tokens, you didn't know how many there were. Yeah. And, and so people didn't have confidence. Of course, at the time, we, we really didn't know even how to address that problem. So uh, the blockchain clearly did it. But um, once I decided that the blockchain was the place to be, I actually listened to my partner. I gave him uh, three hours. <laughs> I said, you have three hours to convince me because you've been talking and babbling about this forever. Within three days, I, had, um, I got off eight boards. I uh, uh, stopped doing everything else I was doing. And I said, all right, from now on, we're just going to do blockchain. And uh, that was, you know, 10 years ago. Wow. <laughs> and what we did, which I think uh, was part of why we were so successful, I took the template of, of uh, what we had done in the Internet and how we had first started at the infrastructure layer. Uh, then we went up and we did uh, applications, uh, e-commerce sites, uh, music sites, travel sites. Uh, then we started looking at how do we actually bring customers to those sites, so ad networks, uh, lead gen platforms. And, and then we realized that payments was a bottleneck, so we, 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 we addressed uh, the payments issue. We were the, we were the first uh, institutional investors in PayPal. And, and so... We, we always had a view of sort of blanketing a space, uh, looking at it and then finding all of the, the friction points or the pain points of what we thought would be a big market and then tried to back businesses that were addressing each of those pain points. We, we, we used that same playbook with, um, with crypto. We probably uh, you know, invested in, 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 and incubated in over 30 uh, crypto companies. Uh, Obviously, some of the early ones, Kraken, Coinbase, uh, uh, Bitfury, uh, BitGo, um, uh, and uh, uh, a whole bunch of others. Then we incubated uh, crypto payment processing companies. Um, obviously, we then started looking at blockchains themselves. We, we created uh, something called um, 
Master Coin. Mm-hmm. Um, we were the, uh, uh, I think we were the biggest investors in that on the board of that company. That was the predecessor, by the way, to Ethereum. It was the first attempt to put a smart layer on top of a blockchain, what we now call uh, smart contracts. Um, the team from there left because we built it on the Bitcoin blockchain and the Bitcoin uh-huh. community didn't really support it. In fact, they their question to us was, why would anyone need an intelligent layer on a blockchain? And so I thought it was self-evident. Uh, so if, if you're asking that question, you're probably not the right chain. And so it was very risky back then to do what uh, the Ethereum team did. So the, the guys at MasterCoin left yeah. MasterCoin and started Ethereum. Okay. And, uh, we became the second largest investors in the Ethereum crowd sale because we knew a smart contract layer was valuable. Uh, we also knew its limitations. <laughs> um, we had built uh, Tether on MasterCoin and Tether, mm-hmm. you know, initially hard to sell to people. Why would anyone need a stable coin? Uh, it was the world's first. But eventually, I mean, today, if you look at it, yeah. uh, Tether is the most traded cryptocurrency on Earth, uh, maybe $20 trillion annually. Half of okay. Bitcoin trading pairs uh, are, are, are with, with Bitcoin or with uh, Tether. Um, but it was during um, uh, 2015, 16, as, as Ethereum started to launch, that we realized, hey, maybe we could take this next generation of in-game items now called skins. Mm-hmm. And a skin is a video game virtual item that's strictly cosmetic. In other words, it has no in-game utility. Yeah. And it looks like if people know what an NFT is in the uh, from a, a media file standpoint, they'd say, oh, me, that looks a little bit like a skin. Um, and so we uh, decided we would launch a blockchain that was just focused on on skins. And uh, I did that in 2017 in London. And I remember I presented to an audience who were like, why would you want media files on blockchain. <laughs> okay, you get the questions all the time. Why would you want this? Why would you want that? <laughs> and in particular, uh, I realized something. Everyone in the audience looked like gamers, kind of geeky computer people, mm-hmm. but it turned out they really weren't. A lot of the early crypto traders uh, like us were video gamers. We were video game item traders. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a perspective. Uh, they did not. And so, um, uh, Crypto Kitties hadn't been launched yet. You know, people really didn't know what you say NFT. People didn't know what that word meant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we knew once we got a consensus mechanism that would allow fast enough processing, this would be. And I think that video is still probably on YouTube uh, uh, of me. I said, look, this will be the on ramp to mass consumer mass adoption of blockchain. And I'm very proud of that because four and a half years later. Uh, uh, this now people think of it as self-evident that of course uh but but as you know it was not until 2021 where anyone seemed to care we were talking to companies for two three years and and they were like well why will we care about this stuff and um and we made some really impressive i think innovations in 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 nfts uh uh we were the first to link an NFT to a real-world consumer product, and we call those viral NFTs, viral yeah, yeah. virtual plus in real life. Mm-hmm. And those uh, we, we've now done them with a lot of big, big brands, uh, especially in the toy space: Funko, Mattel, and Hasbro. 
and a lot of other brands that have said, this is a really cool idea. Target and Walmart and the Topps baseball card trading company, we did it with them. Yeah. So this will, this, will, uh, this will have a profound effect over time on uh, consumer products industry. Uh, so that's sort of a background for your listeners about what I've been up to. Definitely the last. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've covered so much, but I think it was needed. And I'm glad you did. You, you went back like way before OTs, talked about the internet, talked about the doubters there. Like that's what I, I feel when I first looked at MT space and I say the penny drops for me to understand what was going on and the possibilities. And um, it kind of reminded me um, of how people spoke about whether it was Web.0, social media, or how people spoke about the internet. Like at this point, it's very early. Well, I wouldn't say it's very early because you were very early, but it's still early and people are still asking questions about it. Why would we do this? Why is there any need for this? Why would we do that? And that seems to be the running trend. Like you said, through tech, when tech's created innovation, people ask these questions. But to see someone like yourself here that has kind of took that journey uh, from the internet to looking into blockchain to being early on the, being early on the space in NFTs and still here, um, that kind of me kind of solidifies that this is something that's going to be around. And it's not really so much around art because I think it's art driven at this point, maybe called the JPEGs and whatnot, but the technology and the possibility of what, people, what brands can do or the use of virtual goods, like digital fashion or whether it's music, it's going to disrupt everything. I mean, a lot of people focus on the creative side, but I still think it's going to disrupt things like, how about the health sector? And like, for example, the way we travel and passports and stuff like that, I'm sure that would be something we could tap into, right? All those things are true. NFTs are not uh, media files. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way uh, most people have come to know them. Mm -hmm. They're images, they're video clips, they're snippets of, um, of audio. And, and that's been important because a technology that doesn't have something uh, uh, intuitive and familiar it, it generally just sits there and is unexploited because people can't get their arms around it. Uh, once, once people see just one aspect of a technology, like what it can do, um, then their minds just expand. Do, do you know, back in the early eighties, uh, IBM decided it was time to allow people to buy and use computers at home. And I remember the commercials. Uh, there was a, a Charlie Chaplin figure, you've probably seen on YouTube, and he would, he would sit down, and, I, and now as an adult, I know why it was a Charlie Chaplin figure, because people assumed Charlie Chaplin wasn't, he was kind of a, an, an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if they had some computer geeky looking guy, it'd be intimidating, but Charlie Chaplin wasn't intimidating. So it was probably smart marketing. Mm. But what they did is they, they they uh, uh, presented a computer as a, as a spreadsheet for doing your bookkeeping. Mm. And then they presented it as a way to type. And so people thought, oh, I do bookkeeping, I need a computer, or I type, and mm. I need a computer. Now, but if you didn't type, and you weren't a bookkeeper, it's like, what would I need a computer for? And of course, now we can look at it and say, but it's just a general purpose digital machine. But you know, those things are, a result of decades of that information being presented to us in many different ways right. where we finally 
uh, see it as, as what its potential is. But early on in any new technology cycle, uh, it's a curiosity. And then usually the first um, application uh, brings about two things. A group who says, that's magnificent. Mm -hmm. I would love to use that. Now I know what it's for. And then the majority saying, that's uh, a curious use, but not something I'll ever need, so I don't need it. And often what I do is I, 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 I tell people when they say, aren't NFTs a fad? <laughs> you know, and, and why why are you putting all of your eggs in this in this basket and and i say you know uh imagine uh a you have a smartphone and on it you're playing in the angry birds game right and after a couple months you get bored at the angry birds game and you say you know what i don't play this game anymore i should throw away my smartphone <laughs> and, and, and if you think of the smartphone as a um a presentation layer to play a video game you're bored with you might do that but if you think instead of the smartphone as a handheld computer and the the game is just one of many applications you can do with it then of course what i said earlier would seem absurd yeah that that because people think of nfts as a piece of digital art that can't be copied and can be transferred they think all right limited use case um i think of nfts differently uh here's how i would define them um an nft is a turing complete computer first of all so it is a computer a computer you're sending back and forth all right mm -hmm. and it what it does is it it it's a thing that allows you to send something valuable to another person instantly at virtually no cost where the recipient of that knows at virtually no cost that what you sent them is genuine yeah now if you take that as a definition you can start to say wow there's lots of things that i would like to send back and forth to people around the world there's lots of things i'd like to send but but for the fact that they don't know if it's the authentic item they yeah. They, they, they can't really put a lot of money into it. But if I could get over that objection and they would know with certainty it's real and they wouldn't have to spend, you know, a, a month trying to verify it with, with some sort of specialist, then, then you start to think, wow, there are many, many things in this world that we do today that we could do better with an NFT. But also there's, this is where it gets exciting as a venture capitalist. There are things that could not be done previously that now can be done. Mm. And, and that's where real value creation comes about. And doing yes. something that could not be possible before. I was going to say, just put things in perspective to based on what you just said is like, for example, when you're, when people are trying to buy, let's say a, a expensive watch and you can go on the internet and you're looking for this watch and you might get three or four sites, one that says the watch is this much and the one that says, the watch is three grand cheaper and how do you ever know like what how do you ever know which one is the real one i mean i think once this is applied for like for example rolex whether they do it on their own blockchain or they create their own nfts it simply just solves that problem for counterfeits and and all that stuff doesn't it for look especially for luxury goods yeah yeah i mean you know when i was at disney we had fifteen thousand licensees across the world yeah and at the time especially uh, uh, counterfeited merchandise was rampant in China yeah. and, uh, uh, and some other countries. And so, uh, there was, uh, 
it was it was like uh well it's like you know drugs you can never really stamp it out and so uh disney would would you know work with local law enforcement in various countries and they would do high profile um uh, raids and whatnot but the reality was there would always it would always be there and that disney uh logo or that mickey mouse image um you could get a file, a video file of it anywhere, and then make a T-shirt, a waffle iron, you know, a watch. And and the reality is, consumers have no real ability to verify the authenticity of most things. Mm -hmm. What I believe is that is that NFTs and blockchain-based tokenized items, or you can say as a category, are the only thing on on Earth that someone can know with certainty instantly at no cost that it's the genuine item. Now, I would love for your audience uh, uh, to come up with something that 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 meets that test. But I I've thought long and hard about it. And 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 remember the conditions I imposed on that statement that that I can give you something and you don't know who I am. So there's, this is a trustless transaction. You mm -hmm. can rely on your trust in me to validate something. I give you something, you, you now possess it, but you, can you with anything else other than let's say an NFT, know with certainty with doing no work on your part that the item is, is genuine. And by the way, no cost in order to confirm that it's genuine. Uh, I mean, people would always and back four or five, six years ago when I would talk about this kind of stuff, they'd say, but but I can just give you a diamond or I can give you a hundred dollar bill or, or I can give you a piece of gold. Mm -hmm. And to me, anyone who puts any thought at all into that, I mean, a hundred dollar bill, I mean, North Korea counterfeits <laughs> those daily. We don't have the ability ourselves. I mean, the Secret Service or the Treasury Department can figure that out. And a diamond, synthetic diamonds, have reached a point where they're indistinguishable from naturally made diamonds. And of course, gold, um, I don't know about you, but I don't have a local assay <laughs> testing firm that I can go to or that I could even trust yeah. to believe. So uh, 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 it's, it's really kind of, uh, it's remarkable, this thing, right? A, a digital format transferred anywhere that can be easily and at no cost determined to be genuine. This is why uh, the high-end art uh, arena is so intrigued by this, because can you imagine people just uh, sending back and forth one, two, three million, seventy million dollar uh, uh, physical pieces of art constantly, and and there being no time whatsoever to validate if it's real? Yeah, no it's crazy that's actually reporting that that uh, that's what's actually happening at this point. Like people are just exchanging millions of uh, dollars of value of art, like day by day. And that you're, you're right, that would never happen. And there's no question of authenticity or nothing like that. So, yet yeah, to, to even like the point out of that, I know it's happening, but like, we're in this space, you can't just get on with it. But to, to point that out, I've, I've never really thought about that. Is the amount of volume that is traded and trustless, like I said, nobody questions whether it's real or not because of the blockchain technology so yeah I'm glad, I'm glad you highlighted that because these these things are important to the reason why this this, this uh, nft space is going to grow and carry on indeed and and you know uh like i said i've thought about this for a long time I mean, 
<laughs> we, you, it is true for most consumers that there are trust nodes. Yeah. I would say like Amazon is a trust node. That is a uh, an entity you can interact with on the internet where for the most part, uh, most people who uh, give Amazon their credit card and buy a t-shirt or you know buy whatever, a watch or something, they have a great deal of faith that yeah. they're, what that that the credit card's not going to be misused, and that uh, in return for giving Amazon that credit card, they're going to have an item shipped to them, mm -hmm. and and of course um, uh, this is what uh, uh, another way for your consumers uh, listeners to think about th this is what a, a, a branding is about. Branding is about. Uh, presenting a a uh, something to consumers that they can believe and trust in so when you eat uh some cereal you know in the morning maybe it's uh nabisco or 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 kellogg's you uh very few people dedicate time to say i wonder if this is uh, you know uh, used <laughs> with products that i wouldn't want to eat uh, it, it's it's just not we've been so conditioned through endless interactions with that brand that have turned out favorably that um, that humans were pattern recognizing uh, creatures. We say, look, uh, this has happened enough that I'm now going to assume it is always the case. Yeah. And, and uh, that the thing about that is, though, how many billions, tens of billions did did those companies spend on marketing and on service over decades to communicate that they can be trusted with the consumers it's a um it's 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 remarkable and yet mm -hmm. you can do the same thing on a blockchain at virtually no cost and and that's what's so incredible uh branding will not go away but the brand will no longer need to establish first that what they're giving you is a genuine thing yeah you know and and this hurt disney a lot back in the 90s when counterfeiting was so rampant uh because obviously the counterfeiters hadn't invested billions of dollars in establishing uh, a trusted relationship with the consumers so their products were low quality but of course, if you bought something that you thought was from the Walt Disney Company and it and it fell apart, or or it, uh, I remember somebody had these like uh, 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 Donald Duck uh, pens, writing pens that were counterfeit, and they leaked all over some woman's couch, and she she came into the Disney store and said, you know, you ruined my couch, and it, the the employees were like, that's not even our item, but you know, what did Disney do? And they paid like fifteen hundred dollars for a woman to get a new couch. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember being in that meeting and, and the discussion was just, you know what, uh, she believes it to be true. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, we're failing at counterfeit uh, reduction. So um, this is this the whole idea of trustless networks and systems is new to consumers. But at some point it will be um, it will be common. And yeah. uh, that. We don't know where that's going to take us, but it's going to be massively bigger even than it is today. 100%. I agree, man. I, I agree with everything you just said about the, the whole aspect of branding. Like, it's everything you're saying is yeah, pretty much on point. And it, I think it's great that you explain it in that way for the listeners or viewers to 
understand the importance of what's about to happen or what's happening as we speak within the space. But what I want to get into, which I think is important too, is to talk about WAX blockchain because, and this is, I, I, this is what I feel, this is my opinion, is that WAX isn't, when the people enter the space, WAX isn't really brought up as, uh, as a blockchain. Ethereum, obviously, because a lot of these projects uh, are built and these popular projects are built on Ethereum, but you guys have built for NFTs, Ethereum, if people do the research, Ethereum wasn't built for NFTs, it's for smart contracts and, and decentralized, uh, sorry, decentralized finance. So it makes sense for people to look at you, but what, why do you think that is? Uh, because you guys are much more built and scalable and gas fees we're going to talk about and so on, that makes a lot more sense for people to build on top of your blockchain. Now, this is not me taking sides, I'm just stating facts. So um, tell me a bit about WAX. And why do you think that is the case? Well, um, so WAX, as you said, it was purpose built. We built it for what we called skins at the time, but now NFTs. And that required a whole uh, ecosystem that I think just now other blockchains are starting to understand. We knew because we had been doing video game virtual item trading, uh, what was needed. You needed a wallet that was really easy for uh, most people to use. Um, we, we, we looked at a lot of the different wallets that were used in video game uh, item trading, and we, we sort of took the best elements of all of those. Uh, uh, the Wax Cloud Wallet started this year in 2021 at uh, about 500,000 um, um, NFT collectors. That was after three and a half or so years. And since January of this year till now, in November of 2021, we have um, uh, eight and a half million. So it's like more than 15x fold. So people are seeing it. Um, I think two of the top five video games by users are WAX games. And, and if you compare this to like Ethereum, it's virtually impossible to have a game by any definition of that word uh, on Ethereum because, of course, today I looked, um, the cost for a transaction is 23 US. And the average value or the median value exchange is $7 as of today. You're, you're, you're paying $7 and you're paying 23. That's <laughs> and, and, and so we obviously knew Ethereum well, we knew about layer, layer two. And so, which is just a, uh, a ledger that exists on top of Ethereum. And then what you can do is you can run transactions on your layer and, um, uh, in order to get the benefit of the security and the uh, the power of Ethereum, you batch a bunch of transactions together mm -hmm. and you wait until the costs go down because they fluctuate. Uh, Ethereum mm -hmm. has what uh, those who, who use Uber understand to be surge pricing. So whenever there's a surge in demand, the price to transfer goes up. And uh, that's the way they, they deal with the queue. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't make you wait uh, in, in order of when your transaction arrived to be processed. What they say is you can go to the front of the line, you just have to pay up. Mm -hmm. And and so, uh, but that makes it highly variable because the demand cycle just is almost random, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's $20 and sometimes it's $100 to transfer. So what we thought was we needed a, um, uh, at WAX, we needed a, uh, a complete system, one that had no fees. So there are no fees to transfer. 
we had a wallet that clearly by the growth of it, people really like, and it's easy to use. And uh, no, you, you log in with like your, your Facebook credentials or your PayPal credentials or Google credentials. You don't have to put in the, all the other information. Mm -hmm. um, it, uh, we have uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of games on Wax today that integrate with the Wax Cloud wallet. So you go to that game and you're, you just log in through your, your Wax account and then you're in the game and you can transfer your items back and forth quite easily, uh, your NFTs. We also knew you needed a marketplace, so we created those. And then you needed a, a decentralized exchange to allow somebody to exchange the in-game items, the NFTs and the in-game currencies for either other game currencies and items or for things like WAX or some other uh, um, a, a token, fungible token that could be traded on an exchange for real money. Mm -hmm. So we, we thought about that five years ago, right? All what we would need. And so we built it and uh, uh, so, as a blockchain, it is the number one blockchain in the world by transactions. Uh, I didn't look this morning, but it's maybe 15 to 18 million transactions a day. Wow. You can compare that to Ethereum, which is a million, a million and a half. So um, as, a, uh, as an NFT spot, it has more active daily users than any other chain. Mm -hmm. uh, to put that in perspective, um, if you... Uh, uh, Look at like Alien Worlds, it's a game. Uh, Splinterlands is one of our games. Uh, it's also on a chain called Hive. Um, uh, Farmer's World. Farmer's World. Yeah. Uh, those will have hundreds of thousands of people using them a day. Mm. Now you compare that to a lot of other blockchains, and you can go to a site called DAP, D-A-P-P-Radar.com and look, that's yep, yep. my word for it. But you look by users and it's hundreds of thousands of people uh, per day on these apps on Wax, and then it's uh, thousands or, or hundreds. One of the things in these other chains, one of the things that blows me away is some of these so-called metaverses. Yeah. Uh, 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 some of them, uh, Decentraland is one, which is a great project and 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 uh, sandbox. Crypto voxels. These uh, 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 chains, the, yeah. the these uh, uh, blockchain projects, they have a few dozen to a few hundred users a day. And so it's baffling to me why people have rushed in and, and pumped those tokens so much. Uh, I, I think yesterday when I looked at Sandbox, which has a, a $16 billion US uh, 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 market cap, fully diluted, it had 198 users mm. uh, all day for 24 hours. Wow. Now, think about that. Decentraland is usually between 50 and maybe 250 users a day. And then Wax is hundreds of thousands of users a day. So uh, part of that, by the way, is you hear all these chains talk about very low fees, right? The Ethereum Layer 2s uh, um, uh, have a bunch of, of uh, people touting them as, oh, these things are really, really cheap. Well, they range from... Polygon, which is 25 cents to 30, 40 cents per transaction, up to, uh, um, uh, I forget the one that's the cheap, uh, the most. Popular. What's that? Is it Pawn, by chance? Maybe. There's yeah. like five or six. There's a few of them in it. There's Pawn. Yeah, those, <laughs> those range from, you know, uh, they're uh, zero knowledge proof based uh, uh, layer twos. They range maybe. 
25 cents to $3 per transaction. Now, when you have 20 million transactions, that's, uh, 20, that's 5 million to 10 million per day. Mm -hmm. So you can see why so many people are building on on uh, wax and playing games on wax because zero is a lot less than even <laughs> 25 cents. And so uh, uh, now as far as uh, you said, so why why don't more people know about it? I think the users clearly know about it because it's the most actively used chain in the world. Yeah. But a lot of the people who just trade the tokens, they buy the story. So they don't realize yeah. that Decentraland has 100 users a day. I mean, would you pay billions of dollars for an Apple uh, app that had 100 users a day? Yeah, but you wouldn't. <laughs> and, and some people say, well, wait a minute, William, that's not fair. It will one day. All right, but those projects have been around for three years. Mm. So um, uh, now maybe they get there, but I believe most of what we call the metaverse-based uh, chains, uh, Wax is one, uh, these others uh, are, are out there. Most of those will um, uh, will not transition to what will ultimately be the real metaverse as we fantasize about it. The term metaverse has been so abused uh, <laughs> by the marketing departments of, of blockchain companies that it, it's disappointing. I actually think, and now with the... Uh, Facebook, <laughs> Facebook, and, and Meta. Yeah. I, think, uh, I think the term needs to just be uh, put away because it 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 meant something. It was really going to mean when the arrival of augmented reality devices came, mm -hmm. low cost, wearable glasses, which would provide you with a digital overlay of the real world. Mm -hmm. uh, so a blending of the real and the and the uh, the non physical world. Uh, that's what the most of us thought of as metaverse. That is uh, not what we have today. Today, what we have are really awful video game-like experiences that that look very similar to what we had in the in the like like mid '90s. Uh, uh, you know, if you look at a Fortnite or a PUBG or a CS:GO uh, or some of the fantasy RPG games, whatever they are, you know, yeah. uh, 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 League of Legends, those. Those are magnificent worlds with millions of people in them each day. Yeah. That is not what we have today. And so to call them metaverses is really kind of lame. Crushing a few dreams here, man. I think you're going to make a few, few people unhappy. <laughs> the, the, the reality of what you're saying. Um, but it's true. <laughs> if you're a video gamer, I mean, if you're a video gamer, you've never touched a blockchain based, uh, 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 quote, metaverse or game. Yeah. And then you were to go, you would. You would be baffled. Yeah. Now, um, uh, what what I would say to those people is uh, be a little forgiving because just like the first PC games, yeah. and then and then the first uh, Flash or browser-based games, and then the first mobile games. The very first mobile game I played was by a company called Jamdat that everybody's forgotten about. It was based on the um, the Opera operating system for uh, uh, these um, uh, like flip phones. Okay. And uh, what it would do is it would allow you to like uh, take a, a little line, like a dotted line that you would type. Yeah. It would send that dotted line down to what was a zero. Mm -hmm. and it was a bowling game. And, and I remember the guy was showing me, see this? And I was like, yeah, but that's really awful. 
Uh, and uh, 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 no one would recognize that now. Somebody should do a YouTube of those, those <laughs> games. But but the the, the founders of Jamdat and then all the all the follow-on companies, they they stuck with it, and eventually these became super rich multimedia, crazy uh, fun experiences. It just took a lot of effort in and iteration, and that mm -hmm. will happen with blockchain. Uh, mm -hmm. What causes a technology, let's say a gaming technology in particular, to, to or any consumer technology to, to take hold yeah. is not for it to be superior in all respects to what's come before it. That's never the case. It's usually inferior in all respects, except one. And that one is missing or even couldn't be done in the, in the, in the former way it was done. And that one thing is so important to consumers, there was a latent desire that was not met, that it becomes just a mad rush for it. And, and I'll tell you, if you think about phones, I, I'm old enough to remember when phones were connected to walls. And, uh, and then we got these wireless phones within the house. But they um, Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then we got the bricks of the mobile phones. And then <laughs> so uh, back in the 80s, when phone companies were advertising uh, to consumers, they would they would uh, do things like uh, show you the drop of a pin yeah. and how their network was so good you could hear the drop of a pin all right and the notion in the US of dropped calls that was not in the vernacular the term itself was inconceivable because mm -hmm. these networks had been built with what we call 59 reliability which means point uh 9.999 9.9% uh, of the time it is it is up and running so when you got cell phones drop calls were the norm mm -hmm. and they were super expensive and and the reception was often not good in all respects compared to the prior product on a competitive uh comparison the existing wired phone companies thought these things are awful but there was one thing they offered mobility and that was the one thing that consumers didn't know they really wanted, but it turned out they wanted it desperately. And so blockchain-based games, they have one thing today that uh, I've been trying for 20 years to get video game companies to understand, which is they would like to own the in-game item they pay for, and they would like to be able to trade it, barter, or for real money with uh, other people. And video game companies, virtually all of them, have always um, either banned that outright or restricted it or, and then banned your account if you tried to do it. And I was in that business of operating mm -hmm. a secondary market for video game virtual. Do you think that was to keep control? Do you think that was like to make sure they can keep control of everyone's assets and money? Because the minute you give people and they can own it, they have a chance to make money with that or to benefit from that. I, I think it's such a good question, uh, Sean, because uh, I, I don't think you would get any one answer. I yeah. think the the thought of, well, they now own these items and can do something with them, that thought made them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, and they couldn't really put their finger on it. What I would always say is uh, you need to understand a robust, uh, high volume, highly liquid secondary market always benefits the primary market so you guys can sell these video game virtual items to to your your players 
And then the fact that they can trade it, uh, cash it in for, for something else, makes them much more likely to buy from you because they know they're not stuck with it. And of course, as you talked about earlier, if, if you were to buy an automobile or to buy a home and were told that you could never sell it, you would still have a market for automobiles and homes, but it would be a vastly smaller market. Yeah. And it would be a much more carefully thought through decision. I mean, you know, you wouldn't be able to move to to take a new job. Uh, I mean, it would be terrible. So uh, the video game companies, I think, one, they didn't really understand it. Two, there was a general unease, partially because they thought, but now you're making money off of something we did. And that is an impulse in many, many companies, many business people around the world. The notion of the open source ethos, the notion that by creating a, a, um, a, a platform or an ecosystem where all the participants can profit and that you don't directly extract value as the creator of that from those transactions, but overall, you have people coming to that place because they can make a living and and indirectly it's like you 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 set up a city you don't own the gas station or the retailer or the uh the the apparel shop but there's like a sales tax and there's also people investing in that city wanting to build up the park system the water system utility system which benefits the city this is still a hard to grasp concept for video game companies, not to mention other businesses. They like the idea of we get something for everything done we can extract. And, and guess what? The blockchain based now consumer markets with things like uh, DeFi and, and blockchain games is turning that on its head. I think over the next five years, it's going to be highly disruptive to large industries and many consumer product industries where uh, they've not allowed consumers to do these things. And they're gonna see consumers are gonna go there. They can't today easily because blockchain's still hard. But as we make it easier to onboard people, I think they're gonna choose blockchain over the closed garden of, uh, of an Apple app store or a Google Play store. Yeah, I'm asking you a question then. So based on what you said about they're not willing to, they don't really want to part and people benefiting from buying these assets and, and whatnot, as, as you would call it, is if they did NFTs. What about smart contracts then? Because um, royalties, so wouldn't that, I mean, wouldn't it be beneficial for them to, if they had, see if they put a small percentage in the entities that they sold, they will still make money on the secondary market whenever it's resold, probably make a, a hell of a lot of money. One example I like to use is going away from games, but Nike and the and, and trainers, the resale market for trainers is in the billions and Nike, Nike don't make a penny of that. But if they make every trainer or twin, every trainer with a digital NFT and they put royalties in there, as like if it's 1% or 0.7%, they're going to make a hell of a lot of money off the secondary market that they wasn't making beforehand. So it makes complete sense to do that that's that's my logic of uh, based on what you said in the I, you'd be right i, I told <laughs> you the, uh, <laughs> that uh we at wax invented this nft called the viral which yeah. is virtual plus in real life so connecting a a, a viral uh, an nft to a real world consumer product the first thing we we tokenized was um in 2017 was a uh was a, a sneaker <laughs> and that sneaker traded over 200 times 
So uh, the the uh, uh, 200 times in 24 hours, wow. uh, and each time it traded, there was I think a one percent fee. So mm -hmm. in total, more was made in the in the cumulative fees than in the retail price of the of the sneaker. So yes, but uh, uh, the you are right that they can do that. But keep in mind there weren't smart contracts in their ecosystems, right? And uh, even if they, I offered that. Uh, to many game companies when I was uh, the CEO of Opskins, which mm -hmm. was the largest uh, marketplace in the world for uh, skins, you know, video game virtual items that are that are cosmetic. And um, uh, I said, look, we can share in this. But then it gets to this insecurity around the thing they hold most dear, and that is their business model. And uh, mm -hmm. business models are uh, Tremendous when you invent a new one. I mean, they're as rare as uh, finding a new element on Earth. They're very, very rare. Uh, and and the thing about business models that is, uh, and during the internet era, business model uh, 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 thinking became much more advanced because in a digital environment, things are possible that weren't possible in the physical. But um, uh, businesses can adapt to changes in technology. They can adapt to changes in in the competitive landscape. They can uh, adapt to uh, regulatory changes, but a change in business model is usually an instinction event. Businesses cannot adapt. Humans have a tremendously difficult time when they are vested in one business model adapting to another. Usually, the businesses simply go out of business. It, it's it's that hard, uh, and and so. Think about as a business that's a big AAA game franchise that's making a lot of money in a in a in a certain business model. Now they transition from premium sales, where you would buy the physical um, uh, uh, disc to actually go uh, install the game, to downloadable content like what Steam does, to uh, free to play, which was extremely difficult for the U.S. video game industry to uh, to accept, and and so. This is now even more subversive in a way. It's the video game itself now is sort of not fully owned by you, the builder of the game. You've got these people who own parcels and items in it. I think their, their uh, concern is where does this take us? And mm -hmm. entrepreneurs uh, like us, we say, well, uh, I don't know, but, but we'll adapt. And uh, this is something people want. So let's see where we can go how far down that rabbit hole. But um, most people who work at big companies um, uh, would prefer to have very solid foundation of how they make money. And that becomes like the laws of physics that they that they interact with. They know that there's gravity, there's electromagnetism, thermodynamics, <laughs> and they operate in that environment. And so when you impose a new law of physics on them, they they struggle and mm -hmm. and and yet uh, i find it um kind of amusing that i'm seeing all these big triple a titles now now that they see what's going on in and and the venture capitalists rushing into video games on the blockchain they're saying we're going to do this too and we love this idea and i'm like you love this idea <laughs> well then but why for 20 years have you done everything to ban it yeah and if you do love it okay fortnite open up your your skins to be traded and mm -hmm. csgo open up your skins to be traded and 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 league of legends uh world of warcraft open them up mm -hmm. uh, but they don't 
And uh, I think what they're going to try to do is build games for blockchain. But what's going to happen is this. Over time, people are going to get really excited and comfortable owning these, these virtual items. And they're going to look at things like uh, uh, traditional video games and say, why am I spending thousands of dollars there? And so ultimately, those existing uh, AAA titles are going to be disrupted by the consumers getting comfortable and desiring what they can do in the blockchain game space. It's just going to happen, and they're going to, you know, it's just like the online retail or the retailers of. I'm just going to say that <laughs> online retailers and and uh, retail and, and yeah. real life, yeah, Analogs, yeah. you know, uh, high street retail. Uh, you know, they buried their heads in the sand for a long time, and finally they said, "I guess we got to do this." Yeah. Uh, and and so uh, I do expect uh, this is unfolded, by the way, the industry precisely as I thought it would. Mm -hmm. um, in our white paper, we talked about what we saw that was going to happen and why this was going to be a phenomenon, but that it was going to be indie game developers who would start it. And the, because they, frankly, have nothing to risk. Yeah. And then eventually the big guys would see the money there, uh, usually looking at what the venture capitalists are doing, and they would come on in. Um, so we, uh, that industry will be disrupted and some of those video games won't be able to adjust and they will fade away. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested. I see this happening on a, an art level, all these PFP projects, celebrities coming into the space, and obviously they'll get these big corporate companies. You've got the fashion industry, Gucci, D&G coming in. They're kind of like dipping their toes in the water, but they're not really going full. They're not really going to put everything out there and actually invest time in the space and actually get, do things to create different things and, different, and change their business model, as you will say. So... What's going to happen? Are you saying, or do you predict that these companies that have been around for hundred, well, a lot of time, a hundred years, are going to like she fade? Well, I don't think they're going to fade out because the real world still exists. But do are these new breed of companies are going to come and take over, just like the online, like Amazon, for for example, Toys R Us, that sort, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think uh, if you look at just uh, business history, um, it's almost always the case that when a transformative technology uh, is introduced, um, initially it's, uh, uh, it's new entrants to that industry that exploit it because, uh, again, they have nothing to lose. Yeah. And then when they figure out a way to use that for, for something that consumers want, then the bigger companies, usually quite reluctantly, because when you're doing really well doing something, <laughs> Do you really want to compete on a whole new level with people who you didn't have to compete with before? Probably not. So the impulse of some of these businesses will be to put their head in the sand, you know, like you said, a blockbuster. And um, uh, some of them will will start to say, we have to do something here. Uh, my guess is, again, just looking at history, uh, uh, the ones that decide this is something we have to do will uh, experiment, they'll see it's not as easy to change their culture. Mm -hmm. So they will, uh, there'll be a wave of acquisitions. Um, I would, I would guess, probably starting maybe next year, going forward yeah. for two or three years, there'll be a wave of acquisitions, because the hardest thing to acquire is the insight, the vision, the talent of people who have been building in that new technology for years, right? So mm -hmm. that's what they, they're going to realize, 
If you're a blockchain-based game developer, do you want to go work for some stodgy old? Yeah, this is this is it, man. This, this is you're right. And like I said, like I think Facebook announced that they want to um, employ ten ten thousand devs yeah. across. And they will <laughs> by the way, they will. Yeah, they won't be the best. No yeah, way. yeah, they won't be the best. <laughs> there'll, there'll be people mostly who say, "Oh, you know what? I'd like to learn this stuff too," and they will learn it. But mm. in in digital economies. Um, uh, which we as humans are are still trying to grasp uh, what all these changes going on that we kind of feel. Mm -hmm. uh, why are they happening? Why is there so much concentration of wealth among a small number? Well, one of the reasons for that is because digital economics allows a person, a business to serve a global audience and 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 serve them quite rapidly. In the old days, it might take 10 years before uh, you would expand from your host country to to uh, to other countries. And now it often is done simultaneously with launch. Mm -hmm. So I think you will find many, many businesses simply um, uh, they're, they're going to struggle. Uh, they're not going to want to do it, but they're going to say we have to get our toe in the water. We'll, we'll buy something. Mm -hmm. uh, they even today, if I said to you, who do you think is uh, more competent as a team? in the e-commerce arena, Amazon or Walmart, or Amazon or some other retailer, Nordstrom, I think we would all agree, well, 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 Amazon was natively digital, right? Yeah. And, and these other guys were analog for, for 100 years, and then they had to rethink it, they had to accept it, yeah. they had to try to say they're going to do it. And then being very, uh, uh, meager in what they're able to do, have to have to start to hire and attract talent. I've been a venture capitalist for decades. I will tell you, uh, the talent acquisition game is extraordinarily difficult. And, and nearly always in the early stages, it is most important to quality people that they're joining a group of people or a CEO or a founder who's got a vision. Mm. And and won't have to be dragged, kicking and screaming to do that. As I mean, I've been in this industry 10 years. I've watched these big companies. They don't want to believe it. You know, I was working with PayPal in 2014 on on uh, uh, enabling PayPal to uh, uh, to work with us at a, at a crypto payment processor for merchants mm. to accept crypto and then be paid in in, you know, in fiat. And they abandoned that after the guy who was there running it left. So there was no institutional um, um, like uh, acceptance of this. And yeah. it was only after uh, I think Square started to sell hundreds of millions of dollars of Bitcoin a quarter. And they're like, wow, those are high fee things that they jumped in. So um, uh, to any of your audience who is thinking of getting into this space, don't go work for a big company. Most <laughs> of your time is going to be spent uh, fighting internally this impulse on the part of people in the company to to stamp this out. They want to believe it's a fad. Yeah, they, of course. <laughs> they want to believe it's not going to happen. And uh, if you've ever read about, you know, these great cases like uh, like uh, Blockbuster and the internal discussions that went on, you start to realize this was not them not being able to understand. It was not it was them not wanting to believe it. Uh, you know, they were when I was at the Walt Disney Company, Blockbuster became so important and so dominant 
that the that the Hollywood studios who are vultures and 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 who are really really difficult to to compete against they went as a group to congress and said you need to do something about blockbuster they're anti-competitive well in five years of that blockbusters obituary was already being written it's crazy i mean you, you really relayed off history and giving two examples of what it, I, I believe is going to happen um so yeah i'm just like taking it all in like it's it's true it's history repeating itself over and over again and you got to, you just got to be on the right end. I mean, this, this, uh, I feel, I just picture on the right end of the stick. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're not on the consumer side. If you're a business, you've got to adjust and actually take time to look into this space while it's early, while people are still being creative and building, um, before it's a case where you're paying catch up. <laughs> That's let, me give your, let me give your audience, because I hope some of the people in the audience are people who want to uh, break into the space. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and I, uh, uh just recently i i was talking to a gal who uh wanted to figure out a way to to uh make a living in the blockchain video gaming space so i helped yeah. her set up a wax wallet and start to do play to earn she, her mind was blown at how much she could earn and how fun it was and she's even though these games are not like uh as fun if you will yeah. as a traditional game where the graphics yeah. are beautiful and all that what is fun is is the collaborative nature of these things to, to you know she's on the phone for hours while she's doing the work in the game uh and then trying to figure out should we trade this particular item with this trading pair or that trading pair to figure out how to maximize her profit but one of the things she said to me was william uh you told me don't think about it just do it and then come back in a week and and she said I now totally get that and I can't believe uh, she's a middle aged woman because mm. I can't believe it's taken me this long in life to understand what what you've always said to me, uh, which is when there's this new thing going on, you can look at it from afar and study it and you know just meditate on it. And uh, that's worthless. Just jump in. And in a week, a month, a short period of time, it's going to become clear to you whether there's something there or not. But most people want to, quote, understand it. Mm. And the impulse of big companies, when I could convince them to take a serious look at blockchain, they said, we're going to form a strategic planning committee. <laughs> really? And I would say, guys, I've been in the new business development sphere for like 25 years. Uh, no, you don't do that. You know what you do? You incubate something. You just try it. And the doing will, will allow you to absorb the nuances of this new phenomenon, the new tech, at a pace that's a thousand times faster than sitting there and, and, and like noodling over it in your mind. Mm -hmm. So for all those people who are like, I don't know if this is real or not, suspend your disbelief for a day, a week, a month. Just suspend it and say, all right, I'm going to check it out. I have never found anyone in 10 years who got into the blockchain space and made that first purchase of a crypto and then did something with it, maybe sold it or traded it for something else, and then realized, wow, this is actually an, an economic activity. This is, this is uh, amazing, and, and it's permissionless. I don't have to ask people's permission. 
that when that concept hits them and it hits them viscerally because they're doing it, what happens to them is they become converts uh, to this movement. So those are the last things I would say to your to, to your audience. Just uh, <laughs> do it. Just go into it. And and uh, uh, a month later, you know, make a decision. Is this real or you know, nonsense? I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people are going to find out that way. I mean, one, one thing from wrapping up, William, is to, I want to squeeze just a little bit more out of you, is I want to dig into your mind, and I want you to tell me how you see things, um, how do you describe a day, how you think things are going to be with the NFT space in the next 10 years. So describe your morning as you wake up, how and how is NFTs involved in your world, not only in business, but in everyday life? So just give it like a, sh a short description of you waking up and where do you see NFTs and what kind of things are happening? Well, when I wake up, I usually go into Slack. That's the uh, communication uh, app, right, where everyone in the company is uh, going back and forth and discussing stuff. We're, we're a distributed workforce global, so people have been working around the clock. Uh, so I look at, at, at uh, often I'll go uh, from there to Twitter mm -hmm. and I'll look at who's made an announcement about something that they're doing. I'll look at things like Dab Radar and see which games are trending and, and which aren't. Uh, and then I will focus on like some of the daily activities that I do, which is helping to build out the Wax blockchain to make it more robust, right? Because we, since we are the, the top blockchain by transactions, we're sort of seeing what the uh, distresses are as you try to use a blockchain in a, in a mass market uh, capacity. Uh, so that's at the base infrastructure layer. And then I'm looking at uh, things that we're doing. We're rolling out video games ourselves. We're rolling out uh, 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 you know, improvements in the wallet. And I am always looking at, at novel uses of things that are already out there, like the NFTs. So when I was at um, uh, the, the NFT conference, uh, NFT. Uh, I noticed for the first time, uh, by the way, that conference had like 400 people two years ago and at 8,000 uh, this year. So that tells you how big this has yep. become. But what I noticed was for the first time, uh, one of the, uh, there's five, what I think are the most uh, transformative use cases for a blockchain. One of those is identity. And uh, uh, now when we think of identity, we always think of a passport or some other kind of government issued identification. Well, it can also be affiliation with the club. And what I saw each night around New York was 50, 60, 80 events going on where uh, conference attendees who were, who were owners of a particular NFT yeah. were, were being invited to go to a physical place and their uh, entry pass was proof of ownership of the NFT. So that was the first time I had seen that in mass. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, that is uh, an example of, of, uh, of like a, a brand new use case. Uh, so and uh, I would say in terms of what, I, I can't tell you what's gonna happen in 10 years other than broad brush things. Uh, every major economy will have tokenized its currency. What we did with Tether, it, it, it's, uh, it's rare that a technology is superior in every single respect mm -hmm. to what came before it. That is the case of tokenizing currency. Uh, we've also uh, are going to see many of the world's consumer products with digital twins and they'll be tradable. You'll have an option to get it physically delivered immediately or get the digital twin to redeem later. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you will have many um, 
yielding assets. So NFTs are bare instruments. They are they are proof of ownership of something in a metasphere or just on a chain. And you can use those to lend. You can use those to stake to earn revenue. And that will be a, a major, I think, uh, economic activity on the blockchain. So those sort of three broad things, I would say, are things that your audience should just be thinking about and observing. Okay. And do you own NFTs? Do you own any NFTs? And if you do, which one would you recommend? I, NFT. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, at one point I owned a hundred thousand uh, crypto kitties because we had, a, we, we had a marketplace and we were <laughs> so I, I'm sure I was the largest owner of crypto kitties ever. Uh, and then uh, I I own many thousands of, yeah. of NFTs because we're constantly doing NFT drops. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, are you personally? Do you buy me like say, look, I'm buying this NFT. I, I like this NFT. Those are my and my partner's accounts. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, we always buy during the drops, and so. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I own I own a lot of NFTs. <laughs> uh, uh, I own a lot of viral NFTs linked to merchandise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I uh, I'm I'm in this business, so I I you know I I also. Uh, uh, remember, Wax was the first to to invent the concept of a pack, uh, mm -hmm. a pack of of, of NFTs uh, that then uh, many of the other blockchains said, oh, wow, that looks interesting. Uh, we call them Wax packs. So uh, I will send Wax packs. It could be Tops uh, uh, trading card company, the uh, Garden. Yeah, I've got, I got some. I've got some Tops. I've got the drop too. I've got the best drop. Those are fun. <laughs> Baseball card packs. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, uh, Street Fighter. There's just a bunch. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 it's one way I get people to see how fun it is, right? You send them to them, they they open it up, they see what they got, they can immediately sell it or, or trade it. Mm. Uh, that is, uh, uh, yeah, that. So yeah, I own a lot, and <laughs> probably will continue to own a lot. I, I we just did a uh, yesterday. We did a we did an NFT drop of Blade Runner uh, as as a collectible. Not that many. I think we only minted 150 of them, but they were all snapped up in like two or three seconds. So, uh, uh, you know, nostalgic kind of properties that are yeah. application of, uh, of uh, NFTs. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, listen, I think that's been a, a great overview of what you guys are doing at WAX, a great overview of the NFT space beforehand, what's about to happen, the possibilities. If it, I think this, if there's any doubt, <laughs> I feel like this is kind of, this is the, the, the podcast that people need to listen to. And so I thank you for obviously adding so much value and dropping so much gems. I'm sure the listeners, the what, uh, the watchers are going to enjoy this. Um, thank you for your time and coming on. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Um, where can people find yourself? Where's the best if they want to contact you or Wax? Where's it? Uh, so there's Wax.io. Wax.io is the website. Uh, me, I'm on. Uh, I'm Twitter. It's William <laughs> E Quigley um, as my handle. Uh, on Twitter, a lot of people DM me. Yeah, me too. All of them, <laughs> I get back the most, and, and th those are the, those are the two places you can kind of interact with us. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for your time, um, everyone. Stay listening and stay blessed.